Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that today? My guest is Sam Brody of Offsprout, but we're not going to be talking so much about Offsprout today. We're going to be talking about JurisPage, a web design and marketing company for law firms that Sam founded and then successfully sold. We're going to be talking about acquisitions today, and it's super interesting. I've never had a guest on talking specifically about that. So I'm excited to get Sam's insight into the process. And if you are interested in acquisitions, maybe you want to sell your company or build a company to be sold, Sam's got a lot of great advice. I also hope that you stick around to the end of this episode because I'm going to be doing a little mini series over the next few weeks about how I built my podcasting course. A lot of you are probably interested in podcasting and how things are built, so I wanted to combine those and this will be the first kind of two minute segment at the end of this episode where I talk about that. But you probably came primarily to hear Sam's story and we will get to that in a minute. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Plesk. Do you spend too much time doing server admin work and not enough time building websites? Plesk helps you manage servers, websites, and customers in one dashboard, helping you do those tasks up to 10 times faster than manually coding everything. And let me tell you, I recently checked out their new and improved WordPress toolkit, and I was super impressed by how easy it was to spin up new WordPress sites, clone sites, and even manage multiple updates to themes and plugins. With the click of one button, I was able to update all of my WordPress sites. I was, again, incredibly impressed by how great their WordPress toolkit is. You can learn more and try Plesk for free at plesk.com slash build. That's plesk.com slash build. Today, I'm interviewing the first of many people I met at Cabo Press 2018, Sam Brody. Sam, how are you today? Great. Thanks for having me, Joe. Thanks for coming on the show. Sam is the founder of Offsprout, uh, and you and I spoke uh, about a year ago, I guess, for a project that you were doing. Uh, but we hadn't met until Cobble Press. Is that right? I think maybe we had seen each other like for a brief second at WordCamp US after that interview last year, but hadn't really hung out until Cobble Press. Yes, that's right. We, uh, I was like fooling with sound recording equipment. I think as we spoke. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yes, but we, yeah, we actually hung out at Cobble Press, and so that's the. WordPress Influencer Project, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, and, and that's uh, that's on the Offsprout site. Uh, interviewed uh, so far nine people from the WordPress community that have uh, an audience and just talked to them about how they built their audience and how they use their influence to do good. Excellent. Very cool. Uh, I'm, I was honored to be a part of that project as I saw some of the other people you interviewed, and I consider them really great people. So... I will link to that in the show notes, but that's not awesome. actually what we're talking about today. We're talking about a uh, company, a web design company that you founded and then uh, sold, right? Called JurisPage? Yep. Yeah. So uh, should I just uh, start telling the story? Yeah. Let's rock and roll. Who are you and what do you do and what is JurisPage? Yeah. So uh, JurisPage was a 
um, or it still is a web design agency focused on websites and marketing for attorneys. So I uh, co-founded that with my business partner uh, back in 2013. Um, and I had, I had done some freelancing for probably about three years prior to that um, as a generalist and then uh, you know, was on the uh, the revenue roller coaster as a freelancer that I'm sure uh, a lot of people listening to this can identify with. Um, but uh, once uh, once uh, my co-founder and I decided to go into business together, he had a law degree, and so it made sense to niche down into a specific vertical, and law firms was the obvious choice there. Um, Nice. So I'm actually going to stop you uh, right there uh, because I am curious, right? I mean, a law firms seem like a good niche because generally law firms have the kind of money that you would want to charge. But was there uh, was there another reason that you decided to niche down there? Yeah. So I, I mean, it was basically just the two things. One, that there was a, a good market for it. Law firms do have money to spend on marketing and websites. And uh, a lot of law firms have really bad websites to this day. Nice. To this day, they do. And then the other thing was that my co-founder had the law degree, so we already had some domain expertise. And since he was doing sales, that helped in the sales cycle build trust. So, very cool. Yeah. So I I I wanted to highlight that second point as well. Right? Is that you had domain knowledge, which allowed you to really kind of understand your market uh, and create. You know, because I mean, niching down, like the first time I tried to niche down, I was just like, construction companies have money, probably. They didn't in 2008 when I tried. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't know anything about construction companies. So, like, how could I possibly sell to them? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that it is important to have some domain expertise. So, um, I have a course where I, I recommend niching down. Um, but I, I don't think you necessarily need to have as deep a connection as we did with someone who's like mm. been in the field. Um, typically, I recommend like if you don't have that connection uh, to any specific industry, that maybe you're a general, generalist for a little while, um, and then you see what kind of clients you like working with, what kind of clients you're connecting with the most. Maybe you have uh, two similar projects, like maybe you do two law firm websites and you like those clients, or maybe you do two construction company websites and you like those clients and you start building the domain expertise there. And then you can just pull those two projects um, from your portfolio and start a new brand that's niched down. Man, that is fantastic advice. I'm going to link to Sarah Dunn's episode of this podcast in the show notes because she kind of talks about her journey trying to niche down, but, uh, and I do want to parse out some of this stuff in the research section, but I interrupted your story, uh, <laughs> kind of how you got started. So I'd love, uh, I'd love for you to finish that if, uh, if yeah. it wasn't, yeah. So, uh, founded Juris page in 2013. Um, I would say, you know, for the first year. So the thing is when you niche down, like maybe you come from a generalist doing freelancing work and then you niche down, um, and slowly, slowly you're phasing out that generalist work. 
it takes a long time to build a brand, especially in a niche, because at least the way we did it, um, we kind of built our brand through content marketing. And that, like, as you know, this podcast, you've been doing it for two years and now it's, it's really starting to roll, but it takes a long time for that stuff to hit. Um, so, you know, for the first year or so, we weren't, we, we weren't making a living um, with Juris Page. Um, but we were writing blog posts, you know, multiple times a week, reviewing different tools um, in the legal space. And that's um, definitely something that I recommend doing, especially if you're in kind of a, a, a lesser known niche is reviewing different uh, tools that people use. Because sometimes, at least, you know, in our case, um, there weren't any reviews for law firm software like practice management software. Um, even some time management software that was that catered more towards attorneys. Um, so we got a lot of traction with that kind of content. Um, but it just takes a while to to build up that brand. Um, but then you know, year two things started to roll. We made our first hire, um, and then year three we made a few more hires. Um, and I can uh, leave the acquisition story for later if you wanna take a break right now and and uh, dive into any of that in greater detail. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, you are a pro because there's there's a, a lot of stuff here that we can talk about. Uh, sure. Taking a long time to build a brand, content marketing, I mean, that's something that I'm, as we record this, I'm struggling with, right? I think I might have shared with you in Cabo Press that this is something I'm trying to do better, right? I built a great audience with the podcast. Uh, and I built a great audience as a developer, but now that I'm kind of moving into different different things for my courses, site builders, and and how to build online courses, I need to to build that authority. And right. your tip on kind of reviewing different tools, things that cater to that niche, and playing the long game is is really great advice uh, because I think that someone who is thinking about starting a business or niching down can start today. And and uh, work on some good content, a good content plan, and then in six months or a year, when it starts to get traction, really go all in on it. Once they build that authority, is that right? Yeah. So I think the the main thing is just go into it knowing that you're going to be doing a lot of work for about a year, maybe even a little bit more, without seeing much return, and you're going to want to quit multiple times within that journey, but. Uh, you just have to keep grinding away and eventually that stuff, you know, you, you build up enough of a content library that things start to hit. Um, and you also figure out which content is is hitting. So again, for us, that was review content. And so we doubled down on that. But for you, that might be, you know, listicles, that might be tutorials, it might be video content, you know, whatever people respond to, I think, um, you know, different different niches will have different content that's successful and it also depends on you know what you're good at nice and when we're trying to figure out w- what content is hitting uh obviously there's google analytics is there another tool that you might recommend or is is google analytics kind of the thing that it's free it's it's what most people use and it gives you good insights yeah, so for us, it was mostly Google Analytics, um, and then I might add to that. So we do uh, content upgrades, which uh, it's 
kind of a newer term, but uh, many people probably have heard of, of that. It's essentially just writing a, a piece of content and then having a highly relevant um, add-on piece of content that people can download in exchange for their email. So, for example, we had practice management reviews, um, and for each of those practice management reviews, we prompted people to download a comparison chart that just compared all of the different practice management software out there. And that, like that single piece of content, generated thousands of subscribers. So like wow. that's obviously content that's that's working. So I mean it, it's the Google Analytics and then email subscribers for us. That's great great advice. Uh so the like you know that people are taking action on that content, right? So I think uh, maybe a good example of content that was not converting for me even though I thought it would be really good content was I had a blog post that was like uh nine ways to make your website HIPAA compliant, right? Because I, I felt a lot of web designers don't even know what HIPAA is. Mm -hmm. And then the content upgrade was like, uh, or like maybe like just nine general ways to make your website HIPAA compliant. And then like the content upgrade was kind of technically specific actions that you could take. Right, yeah. Uh, but most people are, I guess most of my audience is not doing HIPAA work. HIPAA compliant work, so nobody cares about that, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so, I mean, that that's something that I didn't then double down on, right? I'm like, I gotta put out all this HIPAA content. Right, it's funny. A lot of times you'll think, like, this this stuff is really important and I really need to share it with my audience. And then you write, you, you spend all this time creating great content that you, like, you know is important, but then it just it just doesn't hit. And so you gotta say, you know what? I, I gave it a try, but that's not the the type of content that we're gonna double down on and then you try something else. And that's fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so uh as we're kind of moving into the research section, right? You mentioned a couple of things uh, about, you know, your your co-founder had a law degree, and mm -hmm. you mentioned if you don't have a direct connection like that for domain knowledge. Uh, there's a couple of other things that you can do. What kind of research, if you didn't do, would you recommend for someone who's getting into kind of niching down and starting uh, what you've described as a, a highly productized service? Yeah, so there are a number of things that you have to uh, consider. So one is the size of the market. So for law firms, I, I can't remember the exact number, but I think there are something like 75,000 or maybe up to 100,000 law firms in the U.S. So um, obviously there's you know, a, a pretty big market that we can target there. Um, you also have to see who else is serving that market. So, I mean, this is particular to... Um, or my answer is going to be particular to web design agencies, but this applies ev everywhere. Just see if there's like a clear winner in the market. So for web design businesses, almost invariably there are no clear winners. It's not like you know face the Facebook of web design agencies. Um, right, right. Like um, there's not one web design agency that every law firm is using. Right, right. right. Yeah. So like there are you know tens of national um, brands doing web design uh, for for law firms and they all are you know 
they all have highly successful businesses. So there's plenty of space. Um, so market size, who your competitors are, who you enjoy uh, talking to, who like if you're going to be niching down, you're going to be in this space for years and years. So you have to actually enjoy the people that you're talking to and have an interest in the work that they're doing. If you if you don't have any interest in in law and how to practice law, then don't niche down into law firms because it's going to come through in your sales calls. People are going to realize that you're disinterested and just in it to get their money. Yep. And and like you said, it'll be a year or more before you even really start generating sales. So you got to make sure you like it, right? Because you're going to have about a year where you're not, like you said, generating a ton of, you're doing a lot of front-loaded work right. for stuff to come later. Right. And you have to get kind of embedded in, in that market and learn what kind of questions they have and start writing answers to those questions. Um, so if you don't want to learn about the people that you plan on serving, then it's not a good de- good idea to serve them. <laughs> Great. That's, that's fantastic. And so uh, getting back specifically to uh, Jura's page now, uh, it sounds like you you did all of this. You did this research, right? Um, uh, and you built a company that you ended up selling. Mm-hmm. So as we get to the title question, I think it's kind of going to be kind of two-pronged, right? Like, how did you build this service in such a way that it was able to be acquired? And what was the acquisition process like? Yeah. So two really big things there. One is uh, being in a niche helps, uh, helps I think, build the business once you get rolling and makes you a more attractive uh, target acquisition. Uh, we were acquired by another company in the space. And then the second is charging recurring revenue for all clients that you take on. And I think that's something that uh, web designers, web design agencies still to this day are overlooking at their peril. Uh, so we had like, uh, our minimum monthly was a hundred bucks a month and it went up from there if you wanted marketing or, you know, SSL, whatever, whatever else you could upcharge for. Um, and this is because during an acquisition specifically, they're looking at how predictably profitable you are or is it something else? Exactly. So they, well, two things they want to know, they want to be able to project your revenue out a few years. So they look at, you know, your consistent lead flow um, compared to what your current monthly revenue is. And then they can project that out a few years, especially if you, you know, pour more gas on the fire to increase leads. Um, And then the second thing is, so uh, remind me what the question was. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Uh, essentially, why why is it so essential to do recurring revenue for customers, even in a web design business? Ah, uh, yes. So the the book of business. So if if another um, if another company in the space is going to like look at you as a potential acquisition, then they're gonna see they're gonna say like, how many customers do they have that we could sell to? How many people on their list? Um, do do we think we can sell our other services to? So like having so having being niched down um, with a book of business makes you a more attractive acquisition just because 
of the you know two plus two equals four mentality of you know combining forces within a vertical. Gotcha. That's really interesting uh, because again, it's not just if I have a hundred people who have purchased courses before. And in my example, that doesn't mean that they're going to buy more courses, right? They were maybe interested in that course. Mm-hmm. But if I have a hundred members that are paying me annually to get all of my content, that's a lot more valuable to someone if I want to get acquired by like LinkedIn learning or whatever. Right, right. Yeah, because yeah, they're going to be able to market to all of your existing customers. They're going to be able to market all of their other services. This episode is brought to you by Pantheon. Starting a new project? Looking for a better hosting platform? Pantheon is an integrated set of tools to build, launch, and run websites. Get high-performance hosting for your WordPress sites, plus a comprehensive toolkit to supercharge your team and help you launch faster. On Pantheon, you get expert support from real developers, best-in-class security, and the most innovative technology to host and manage your websites. You can sign up a new site in minutes with a free account. You only pay when it goes live. That is my second favorite feature to Pantheon, only to the easy ability to create dev staging and live servers and push to GitHub. It's very easy to set those things up on Pantheon. So you can head over to Pantheon.io today again to set up a free account pay only when it goes live. Thanks so much to Pantheon for their support of this episode and this season of How I Built It. There's a lot of really good information here that I want to, I I hope that the people listening, uh, that it really lands for them. Um, So uh, being being in a niche uh, helps be more attractive to acquisition. Charging recurring revenue on all customers Mm -hmm. is the other major part of that. Um, So uh, I guess maybe continue with the acquisition story or, or how you got to a point where you were ready to be acquired. Yeah, so we actually were not intending to be acquired. We weren't searching for a potential acquirer. Um, but we we had this relationship with a, another company in the space. Um, and we had you know exchanged leads back and forth for years. And so... We approached them, uh, this was 2016, so about three years after we founded. We approached them and said, hey, why don't we white label web design for you guys? So you guys can you know, sign new clients and pitch them web design and we'll, we'll be fulfilling that in the, in the background, but you can white label it um, as, you know, as your own web design service. And they countered by saying, why don't we just buy you instead? And so, um, to be honest, for a while, I didn't, I didn't think that we would be able to settle on a, a price, agree on a price. Um, but they were, you know, motivated to, to expand their business into this particular um, area. And we were able to uh, work out a, a price that worked. But again, that that could only happen because we were niched down. We had recurring revenue. We had a predictable lead stream. Um, we had an existing relationship with this company. So there were uh, all sorts of things that needed to be in place for this to be a an acquisition where we could get 
the the multiple that that we got. Gotcha. And are you, so I guess are you still doing work for this company? So my co-founder is. Okay. Uh, I did for uh, about a year after the acquisition, and that those were that's part of the acquisition terms. Gotcha. Because um, so this wasn't necessarily just like a talent acquisition, right? You'll hear that in like Silicon Valley a lot, like an aqua hire, uh, where they just buy your company to essentially hire you as an employee. Right. This is more just buying the brand and the book of business because the the brand we you know we were generating a, a good amount of traffic um, to jurispage.com and we had brand recognition in the industry and so they wanted that brand equity. They wanted the you know the processes that we put in place. All of our processes were documented so that it was easy easier to onboard uh, new hires and you know we had we had figured out a lot of stuff plus we had the book of business the uh, email list all of that stuff nice yeah so they're essentially buying your trust I think a, maybe a good example is uh, Apple about 10 years ago now bought a company called Lala I don't know if you remember this company nah it was incredible you would sign up and then like you could stream any song for free once and then you could like download it for a dollar or stream it as much as you want for like some preposterously cheap amount of money, like pennies. Uh, <laughs> and I loved that service. And when Apple bought them, I was like, this will be great. Like they're going to integrate this with their library or whatever. And like maybe like you can do the same thing on iTunes. And they just shut it down. They just shut down Lala. They bought the employees to improve iTunes. Gotcha. Presumably, since iTunes hasn't improved much since then. <laughs> Uh, but uh, conversely, Microsoft, within the last year, bought GitHub. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's much more of a trust-building acquisition, right? They want to be more visible in the open source space. And GitHub has a good uh, reputation in the right. open source space. Right, yeah, exactly. I think that's a great analogy. So, uh, you know, it it was it was the brand equity, and you know, GitHub has quite a user base, and so all of those users are going to be like, oh, now I'm using a, a Microsoft product, and uh, so what else? It, Microsoft is probably thinking, you know, what else can we kind of uh, push on these people in in as gentle a way as possible, possible at least in the case of GitHub, because you don't want to be too aggressive with that community, but. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good point. Uh, that's that's fantastic. So, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm very keen to learn um, as much as you could talk about what the negotiation process was like. And naturally, you don't have to talk numbers or specific. But um, how how do you approach those negotiations? Yeah. So um, it it lasted about. Two months, we went back and forth with kind of, I would say, uh, probably five total like offers, counter offers total. Um, and, you know, you'd, you'd get on the phone. We had, I think, probably at least biweekly calls for those four months or two months. Um, and we were just talking through different things. They would ask questions about our processes and you know about our lead flow and where we thought uh, the business could be improved and uh, where we thought it could go. Um, 
we had we like basically turned over all of our financial records once mm-hmm. we signed an NDA um, so that they could see exactly what was going on in the business, which also that reminds me uh, if uh, a lot of people in this space are running multiple different businesses. So if you're running two different businesses and you think that uh, one might be acquired separately from the other, make sure to keep separate books because mm. going in after the fact and taking like dissecting to see which uh, which expenses and which uh, payments can be attributed to which business is not fun. Um, so maintain separate books. <laughs> wow, that's really good advice that I'm 100% not following at the time <laughs> of this recording. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not too late to start. Uh, you know, you could maintain separate bank accounts, um, but at the very least, you should like have separate Stripe accounts, you know, separate PayPal accounts, um, separate credit cards, so that it, you at least have some sort of separation where people can look and see which is uh, what's driving what what revenue and what expenses. Wow, that's. That's wild. Uh, and I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? I mean, if somebody wants to buy this podcast, they don't care about how many courses I've sold over the last month. Right. They care about my monthly expenses and how much sponsor revenue I'm generating or whatever. Right. Yeah. And so make sure to keep multiple books. Negotiations lasted two months. Was there a, again, feel free to answer whatever you're most comfortable with. Um, was there a point where you were like, man, this is not going to happen? Uh, I, I pretty much thought that right up until like the last week or two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because again, we weren't really looking to sell. And so we were asking for a number that would make it worth it to us, but you know, would still be fair to the, mm-hmm. to the acquirer. Um, and, and I think, you know, we got, we got the high, the high end of the, um, of an acceptable valuation range. Um, and so, you know, if we, if we couldn't hit that number, then, uh, we wouldn't have sold, but, uh, eventually, you know, a month and a half in we, we got there. And so at that point I was like, Oh wow, this actually, this actually might happen. Um, but if you're in the negotiation process, uh, don't be afraid to ask for what you want and also weigh that against um, what it would be like to keep the business, but then try to transition yourself out of it so that it, it, it runs more passively, like make a hire who can, who you'll be able to trust eventually to manage it and then transition yourself out. Cause that's, you know, I, I look back on this acquisition after the fact and I'm like, you know, what, what, what would have happened if we had kept it and just transitioned out? Cause you're, you're selling an asset that right. potentially could, uh, you know, pay you dividends for years and years to come. But you're also selling the selling the risk, right? Right. So you're right. cashing in just to forego the risk and the management headache and all of that stuff. Um, but if you want to take that on, you can you can build it so that you can transition yourself out of it, and then and that's an important thing to um, weigh an acquisition against. Yeah. So it's almost like a long term investment versus a short term payout. Right. Cool. Very cool. Uh, that reminds me of a story of in like 2013, 
my friend came to me and said, hey, Joe, we should buy Bitcoin. And I'm like, no, that's crazy. And I don't think we should do that. <laughs> and uh, last summer, I was definitely like, I probably should have done that. Uh, but I'm confident that over the four years, right? Or maybe it was 2011, right? So four to six years of Bitcoin changing value over those six years. I'm confident I would have been out well before it like blew up. <laughs> so I don't view that as like lost revenue. I just think, man, what if I had done it and like stuck in for the long run? <laughs> yeah, I remember a conversation I had. I think it was like in 2012 where a friend was like, oh, it's this new cryptocurrency and all you have to do is mine it. And I'm like, what the, what the heck is mining <laughs> cryptocurrency? I, I don't have time for this. This is stupid. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, oh yeah, fine. Like I'll, I'll just... I'll just invest in Disney bucks, right? Because they're like more real to me. Uh, <laughs> awesome. So uh, that's that's a really interesting story. And generally, I would ask at this point, like, what are your plans for the future? But you said that you left the that you kind of left after about a year, which were was the terms of the agreement, right? You have to stick around. You can't just like take your money right. and run. You have to help make sure this transition is as smooth as possible. Right. Yeah. And so. Uh, one of the reasons that we eventually uh, took the deal is that we wanted to work on uh, a new business, and that's our current business, Offsprout, which is a website builder for WordPress and specifically for freelancers and design agencies that are looking to uh, improve their processes. And um, we are kind of applying all of our lessons learned from JurisPage and also uh, using like we built the first version of Offsprout for internal use uh, for Juris page and then rebuilt it uh, so that we could release it publicly. Um, so that's how Offsprout came about. Wow, that's really interesting. Uh, so it's a white label page builder. Would you say that it's more akin? Is it like similar to Beaver Builder or Elementor, or is there some other uh, hook? Maybe something that works better for freelancers. Yeah, so uh, I, it's funny. At Cabo Press, I talked to Chris Lemma, and he said, "Don't call it a page builder. Call it a website builder because it's it's different because you could build your entire website with it, and there's more of a focus on that." Um, so I would say that's one of the differentiators is that um, we have a different way of looking at site wide content um, and building your entire website rather than kind of tacking that on as an afterthought. Um, and then we also have more of a focus on centralizing your design so that, you know, let's say you built this entire site uh, and the client says, oh, this, this looks great, but I just want to change that blue color to a lighter shade of blue. And you've gone in, like if, if you're using a different page builder, you might have gone in and set that blue color on each module individually. So then you have to go back um, and, and change it individually we centralize stuff like that so that you can respond to those re requests with a single change. Nice. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of applying the software engineering uh, mantra of dry, right? Don't repeat yourself. Mm -hmm. um, making these reusable uh, aspects because I've totally been there. Like, I'm, oh man, I got to change this color everywhere now. Yeah, and it's fine if you're, you know, building a site for yourself and you want to be able to mess around with it. But if you're trying to have an efficient process for um, maintaining, building and maintaining client websites, then you need to be able to do stuff like that quickly. And, and you know, we also have, um, you can have your own personal template cloud. So, um, and we have a site grower 
that uh, allows you to basically enter the client's company information, uh, choose some page templates, and it'll build the site for you with all the company information in the right uh, places with all the pages that you asked for and the templates that you uh, chose for those pages. So just workflow tools, essentially, for freelancers and agencies. Yeah, that's really cool. I feel like we could have a whole other episode on that, <laughs> uh, especially because what you said reminds me of basically a, a very similar story here across many episodes, which is we built it for ourselves for this thing, and then we decided to make a product out of it. Right, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the whole the kind of central idea behind it was uh the same as when we when we had it for ourselves which is how can we make our workflow as easy as possible so that we can productize our business uh easily onboard new employees and easily train them to to use the platform and and produce good work with um you know minimal skill to be to be frank yeah, and I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? Because then it allows you to focus on the important things that probably help you sell the business, like growing your client base, like developing trust among those clients. Like, oh, Juris Page really knows what they're doing. They helped me create a website that actually works and is not just like, call us now. Are you injured? Like, call us. <laughs> like that. <laughs> right, yeah. And especially in the the web design space, there are just so many companies that can build you a good website. So you you shouldn't really think of yourself as a web design company. You should think of yourself as a marketing company, marketing yourself. And and you do website design to to be able to keep marketing yourself. Man, that is great advice. I said something very similar to my wife recently about how uh, we are in the service. We are in the general service business to help people grow their businesses. And the website is just how we do it. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you hear a lot of freelancers, oh, my client's stupid and they don't know this. Like, and, and your client is not hiring you just to build a website because they know everything about it. They would use Squarespace to do it themselves. They're right. hiring you because they don't know what to do, but they know they need to be online. And so, right. So I'll let you take it from here. You're the guest on the show. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, you want to be spending your time building that trust, uh, you know, focusing on your marketing, uh, writing thought pieces that help your clients out. Um, and then, you know, you also do the web design stuff. But again, everyone, you know, not everyone, but there are so many other companies that can do the web design part. You have to find the the ways that you can differentiate yourself, and that's the the content and thought leadership and helping people in other ways, your customer service, that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, having your processes dialed in gives you more time to focus on that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That's I've gotten. You know, why should I pay you thousands of dollars when? Uh, I can, somebody, my nephew could build me a website for 200 bucks. And I'm like, have your website built by your nephew for 200 bucks and then come see me when you're ready, <laughs> when you're ready, right? right? You're not ready for what I can offer you yet. Right, yeah. So, cool. Well, you have, as we uh, approach the end of this episode, you have provided us with a lot of really great advice, but I still need to ask 
do you have any trade secrets for us? <laughs> uh, I don't know if there's anything that I haven't shared yet. Uh, you know, it's. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna prompt you here because you say that you also have the highest rated course on Udemy uh, for the search web design business. Yeah. How did you do that? Because when I was on your, when I was in your series, I had some strong opinions about Udemy. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm gonna, I'm going to ask you for a quote-unquote trade secret, very selfishly. Um, well, so I, I mean, I, I just made the course. I'm already out of the you know web design agency game, so I was just intending to share everything that I knew without holding back, and I think that um, that that's part of it. And the other thing is, um, I really like actionable content. So I have in the course there's a 30 day action plan. Every lesson has an action item, and so like if you want your hand held, this course holds your hand and tells you what to do each day. Um, and I, so like, I, I find that that's, um, more effective content for me when I'm consuming content. Uh, I, I don't want to actually have to think about how I'm supposed to apply the knowledge. I just want to like be able to apply it as soon as I learn it. And so it's, it's highly actionable. Wow. More great advice. So, uh, if you're keeping score at home, we have learned about an acquisition process. We have learned about how to be effective web designers. And we've learned how to create uh, what we need to do, right, to create popular online courses. Sam, I am certain that people are probably wondering, uh, hey, this guy has a lot of good info. Where can I find him? So where can people find you? Yeah, so um, I encourage people to check out Offsprout. And, you know, there's a contact form there. Uh, I, I think this is the time when most people share their Twitter profile, but yeah. I am terrible at social media. So if you want to get in touch with me directly, I think email is the best way. And that's sam at offsprout.com. Sam at offsprout.com. I will link uh, that and a lot of what we talked about in the show notes today. I'm sure that Sam is probably still productive because he's bad at social media. I am okay <laughs> at social media and therefore I am very unproductive uh, most days. So, uh, <laughs> Sam, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. It's been great. Thanks so much to Sam for joining me today. I really appreciate what he said about, first of all, niching down. I think niching down is something so important to any freelancer because you get to become an expert in a singular field. And then you could maybe parlay that into something like Sam did. Um, and the thing that resonated with me the most was keeping your books separate. I've got several different businesses, and while I don't intend to sell any of them, they're all kind of funneling into the LLC that I created for myself. So it'll be a big pain in the neck if I ever do decide to, to sell one of my businesses. Uh, my question of the week for you is... Uh, what are your thoughts on acquisitions? If somebody came to you with an offer to acquire your business, would you take it? Have you been on the other side of it where you went to acquire a business? Let me know by emailing me, joe at howibuilt.it or on Twitter at jcasabona. Thanks so much to Plesk and Pantheon for sponsoring this episode. Their support allows me to do this very fun show. 
For all of the show notes, you can head over to howibuilt.it slash 117. If you liked this episode, be sure to give it a rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. It really helps people discover us. All right. So uh, I want to tell you a little story about how I'm building my course, which is called uh, Launch Your Podcast in Three Days. And I'm going to, of course, uh, start with at the beginning, right? I'm going to structure this the same way that I structure the show. So over the last few years, I've really focused on building educational content around podcasting. I've gotten a lot of questions. And as a natural teacher, I wanted to put something together for people who want to learn more. Over these next few episodes, I'm going to give you some insights into the course creation process from inception to the failures, to iteration, and launch. So let's start with what it is and go from there. Uh, as you might know, I create and sell courses over at creatorcourses.com. Uh, and one of the courses that I have is called Launch Your Podcast in Three Days. The way I got this idea was uh, in August of 2018, when I went to Podcast Movement. It's a huge podcast convention. And I noticed that a lot of people, most people were interested more in the fact that I was a web developer than the fact that I was a podcaster. And it makes a lot of sense, right? Most people there were podcasters or thinking about starting a podcast, but very few people were web developers as well. So I get a lot of questions around their websites and what they should do and, and how best to do it. So this gave me the idea to start a course called Launch Your Podcast Website with WordPress. Notice that there are only two similar words in that title versus the title I said earlier, launch and podcast. And that's because over time, I realized a few things. People weren't necessarily interested in the exact tool that was being used. Uh, they just wanted a good website. And... I learned the hard way. I actually learned this after I launched the course that people want the whole shebang. If they're going to take a course on podcasting, they want everything from beginning to end, not just the podcast part. So that's where we are as I start this journey. Uh, I had the idea after podcast movement. The first iteration of the course was just about the website. And in the next episode, I will tell you all about that. But it evolved because uh, of feedback that I got from most people. So if you're interested in checking out the podcast course today, uh, you can head over to howibuilt.it slash podcast to learn more and get some resources. And as a How I Built It listener, you have access to an exclusive 50% off the course uh, using the code BUILD, B-U-I-L-D. So that's a build for 50% off the Launch Your Podcast in Three Days course. I will tell you more after the next episode. So until next time, get out there and build something. <laughs>